just building a team, um, putting people the right seat on the bus where they can be the most productive. And, and uh, uh, the, the, the biggest thing about growing a team is you got to be able to have tough conversations. We know that building wealth comes from owning businesses and making investments. Yet why still do nearly half of businesses fail in the first five years? And why do others lose it all in their investments? Welcome to the Wealth Watchers podcast, your resource for building a massive net worth. We bring real stories from real people who are experts in business and investing, who will share secrets and actionable strategies to amassing wealth and achieving success. Brought to you by Happy Camper Capital. And now, your hosts, Justin Hoggett and Adam Lendy. Welcome back to the Wealth Watchers Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lendy. With me is my co-host, Justin Hoggett. Justin, how are you today? Hey, Adam. It's great to be on. I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Thank you for asking. Uh, so, Justin, we, we've got a guest on today, Robert Van Hoos, uh, Robbie Van Hoos, as he goes by. Um, can you tell us a little about him and kind of what he's going to be sharing with us? Well, Robbie's got a very interesting history with uh, with business and uh, furniture. He works at big works uh, for Big Sandy Superstore, and uh, he brings a wealth of knowledge in his business experience. And we look forward to capturing some of that history. Absolutely, I look forward to getting into it. Yeah. Um, Robbie, how are you doing today? I'm doing uh, fine in sunny Florida and uh, just enjoying life in general. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Send a little bit of that up our way. We've got snow in Colorado today. Yeah, well, it just started raining. You can have all that you want. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Justin, how, how do you know Robbie? And then uh, what, what do we need to know? Yeah, well, Robbie, um, Robbie came to us from my parents, actually. Um, kind of history there with uh, Florida and sports and um, but but Robbie, how about you tell us a little bit about your yourself, what you do, a little bit better uh, intro than I did, and um, we'll kind of go from there. Okay, I'm uh, the CEO of uh, Big Sandy Superstores. We're a, uh, a top 50 home furnishings uh, uh, retailer. We sell furniture, mattresses, appliances, electronics, and uh, our goal is to be number one in every marketplace that we serve. And how'd you get involved in that? Well, I was born into it. Um, if you look at our website, bigsandysuperstore.com, the, the story's on there. But my dad got out of the service uh, 1953, borrowed $1,000 from my mom, uh, and went into the uh, furniture business. Uh, you know, you, you, you think of starting a business today for $1,000, it's pretty much impossible, but it was not unusual for us to come home and find that uh, he sold our refrigerator. He sold our sofa multiple times. He'd get another one, but uh, uh, he did it all. He was known as Big Sandy Bob uh, in Ashland, Kentucky. Uh, he did the first radio remote uh, in the market. Uh, he's got a lot of stories. He used to take trade-ins on anything, chickens, ponies. He tap dance on tables. And uh, uh, he, he, he had quite a following that he developed uh, between 1953 and 1976. Um, at that time, we had three stores, and uh, he decided he wanted to raise Arabian horses in Florida. And he asked me and my partner, John Stewart, who was a lot more mature than I was. He was 28. I was 21. But he asked me, uh, would you like to be 
uh, CEO and run this business and I'll finance it if you'll pay me and I'll go to Florida. Well, at that time, I was a 21-year-old senior in uh, Mar the Marshall University with getting my degree in business. I uh, was going to be married in June after I graduated. Um, and I was, at that time, uh, uh, a lot of my time was spent. I, lo I loved being in a rock and roll band and I was waiting on a big record contract. So, uh, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to blow that. Um, but when reality set in that, uh, there was no record contract, I was, I was a nice local club guy, but I was no national entertainer. So after I picked myself up off the ground and recovered from that, I said, well, uh, you know, that CEO title sounds good. Let's just do it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, obviously 20 somethings, uh, I was, I was a perfect example of young and dumb. Didn't realize what I didn't know was, was going to go out and conquer the world, made every mistake known to man. Uh, but by the grace of the God, we, we, by the grace of God, we've grown into a top 50 home furnishings retailer that's got a national reputation for uh, somebody that you want to do business with in our markets. Sounds like quite the road you went through. Um, and I so just you, I just gave you the, the Reader's Digest version. There's a lot of more intricacies <laughs> along the way, but uh, you don't have time to hear about all the mistakes I made. Well, well, let's uh, let's maybe hear about a few. So you, you started with three stores. Um, we can get into how many you have at this point because you just made a big acquisition, which is impressive. Uh, but but let's maybe uh, how did you start working with your partner and how did you know him and, and what roles did you each play? Well, my partner, he, his qualifications were that uh, he went to church with my mom and dad and uh, he was a he was a pretty good size. Uh, guy, and when my dad needed to load horses on the a trailer, he was good to get behind him and push him in the trailer. So he obviously had a work ethic and <laughs> didn't have a problem getting dirty. Well, he he went and graduated from the University of Kentucky, and he thought he'd be working for a major corporation at that time. The the big business in our city was Ashton Oil, and when that didn't work out, he started working at Big Sandy. Uh, you know, when, and had proven himself and, uh, uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, my dad picked him to be my partner and it was a great partnership. Uh, he finally retired in 2010, but, uh, he was very instrumental, uh, in our growth. He was kind of the operations guy and I was a sales and marketing and, uh, he was a more strategic, deeper thinker. And I just wanted to get out there and make things happen. So, it was a good combination. We complemented each other well. And uh, that's one of the things that a lot of people fail at. Uh, they don't pick the right partner. And when you don't pick the right partner, there's the chances of you being successful in whatever that venture is, is almost impossible. So it sounds like you got lucky a little bit. Uh, lucky, I call it blessed, just... Uh, I mean, everybody I've ever competed with from the 70s and 80s when we were just starting out and being the, the smaller company in the market is, is bankrupt, retired, they're gone. Uh, there's a graveyard of retailers out there, Circuit City, H.H. Gregg, uh, uh, you know, Sears is almost there. It's just uh, incredible how, you know, 
the mighty have fallen. And uh, in 2017, we were named America's fastest growing home furnishings retailer, which is just the furniture and appliance and, and uh, mattress business. But uh, uh, we've been blessed to have a, a lot of good people come our way. It's, that's, a, that's a huge part of our success of just having a, a good team, the right people. Um, because my growth strategy, the first thing I asked, do we have the people to, to send there and extend our culture? Uh, and the people that have a great culture go public. Wall Street wants you to have all these locations. You just start signing leases with no people resources. You know, those are the ones that crash and burn as soon as things get, times get a little tough. So, Robbie, what did you learn about leveraging yourself and about bringing in other people as you started growing? Obviously, you know, you well, mentioned having the right people is important. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's the number one key to success is surround yourself with good people. Um, you know, my goal was to, to find people that were better than me in whatever area their expertise was. And uh, I look for high character, somebody that, uh, you know, if, the, if they tell you something, they'll do it and are willing to work and, and uh, accomplish goals. I use a lot of sports analogies and you gotta be able to score in the red zone. Uh, but, uh, you know, why we found them and other people, I mean, sometimes a lot, of, a lot of people have that opportunity and they find people, they just don't know how to bring them on and make them feel part of the team and make them feel like they have a voice. So I've always believed in open communication um, you know, we've got now probably oh, somewhere around 800 employees. Um, I don't like to be called Mr. Van News. They just call me Robbie. And, you know, um, some of them can't hardly stand to do that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I want people to tell me what's on their mind. And it may be nothing. It may be something. But uh, that's, that's how I keep my pulse on the business is by listening to the people and hear what they have to say. And oftentimes it's just something that they got a personal gripe about, but uh, you need that as much input as you can from as many trusted people as you can get around you to make a, uh, a good decision. Got it. Yeah. I've got to say, you know, I've read enough books on leadership and I just heard some of the main core tenets of a lot of those books rolled into just that, those last few things you said about, Hiring people who have you know strengths that complement your own you know areas that uh, you you know maybe maybe where they're they're better at something than you or are wiser about something than you and and you know that's I think I think that's a big one. Um, I, I I'm certain you probably didn't start out there in your growth of you know you know uh, expanding your company. Um, how did you learn lessons like that? Uh, trial and error, uh, figuring out what works. Uh, you know if something's not working. You got to reinvent yourself. You, 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 you can't stray too far from your natural personality. And my natural personality is to be very aggressive, very bold. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a risk taker. But uh, uh, we became an ESOP in 2006. And that kind of fulfilled my vision. That, at that point, John was looking for an exit strategy to get his money off the table. Um, I was looking for ways to attract more people to grow as a company. And, and, uh, you know, everybody has a secret desire. I want to be the owner. Customers want to talk to the owner. Um, we got, you know, 800 owners. So being able to 
communicate that and, and they don't get it right off the bat. It's a, it's kind of a culture, but we, we uh, approach everything from having an ownership mentality. And when they actually are an owner and they start getting their ESOP statements to show where, you know, this strategy that we're following actually does work, the light bulbs start to kick in. And, you know, um, the, the value of our company, everybody else was going south. We, our first, an ESOP gets evaluated once a year. We were $54 when they originally evaluated it. Uh, 2008, 2009, it went down to 39. I'm, I'm kind of like Trump. That's my report card. I really got ticked about that. And since that time, uh, uh, last year it was evaluated for, and that would have been 20, 2019, it would have been evaluated at 254. Well, the pandemic hits in 2020 when all the stores were shut down in April. We were saying, my goodness, it's going to be a, a terrible year. And it turned out to be a record-breaking year, the best year we've ever had. And and we're looking probably for a stock price this year. We've evaluated, uh, you know, well in excess of $254 this year. So, you know, the uh, if you don't have a core group of people that can will stick with you through the tough times, uh, you know, it's you don't make it through the tough times. And a, a lot of retailers uh, didn't make it through last year, and you know, in the future, there's uh, a lot of people in the furniture business. There's a there's a great attrition rate as people get older. They don't have anybody to take over their business, and they just uh, don't have anybody there working that can do what they do, and they have no other choice but to shut the doors and get rid of the real estate. So you started with three. You said three stores, correct? And and now, how many do you have? We have. Uh, 28 uh, locations under the Big Sandy Superstore banner. And then we have a partnership where we have another four stores that we that we work with. Um, but 28 locations under the Big Sandy Superstore banner and uh, just uh, kind of crazy how that is, uh, you know, in the middle of an, a pandemic, we took on uh, seven new locations, former art band locations that... Uh, was just an opportunity wasn't looking for it because it's very hard to get inventory right now it's like a lot of industries there's supply chain issues you can't get products and um, we've been able to navigate that as in a satisfactory way to where uh, these people in this local market will continue to to partner with us and grow and um, you know we're looking for a bright future for them when when their world was turned upside down they had nowhere else to turn and just so happened, um, I knew one of them, and he got a couple key people together. We sat down and talked and came up with a strategy, and uh, so far it's working. That's great. Great job. And so how fast did you wh – when was your first uh, expansion after taking over at 21? Oh, gosh. I mean <laughs> – Were you aggressive right away? Yeah, well, yeah. We, we, we – I don't open stores just to take – open stores. So it's, it's always a question of number one, do you have some people that can go run it? And number two, the rent deal has got to be uh, so that you can't help but make money. You know, I know what the market will produce and, but the rent deal has to be favorable though. So that if you do have a downturn, you're not going to lose money because your rent is too high. And that's what happened to a lot of retailers that expanded 
you know, uh, a lot of them would get free rent for a year or two. Uh, but in year seven, eight, nine, when that rent was kicking in to, to much higher levels to make up for the free rent, uh, they couldn't cover it. And uh, we've always been uh, very conservative in our uh, rent allocation. And we've always had a good feel for what the store could produce if we put a solid team on the floor. And we've been, uh, that's probably been one of our strengths that uh, we're just disciplined about that. So you help the, uh, you, you negotiate the rents to be long-term. You're not taking much incentive to come in. Is that what no, I'm I usually take, I usually take, I usually like to do all the, um, uh, remodeling the 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 ret, the, re, the refits in exchange for free rent and i'll usually have uh, four or five year options uh, they get a bump every five years uh, sometimes you have to go at least 10 years depending on how much uh, free rent you get but uh, or if you're asking them to put any money into it i, I never i never pay for hvac or roof uh, i pay for everything else and it's uh, that's my basic formula uh, but, uh, uh, we, we opened, we, we only have one location. Now the last location my dad picked is still one of our biggest stores in Chesapeake, Ohio, right across from Huntington, West Virginia. And that store is, uh, still there to this day. That was the last store he built. That was store was open in 1973. And when he retired in 1976, it was, you know, our biggest store, the other two stores, have been closed, moved, upgraded. Uh, you know, our original location uh, on the a downtown location in the corner of Greenup Avenue in Ashland, Kentucky is now the police station. But, uh, you know, all of our downtown stores we got out of uh, when the progression was moved out of town, strip centers, malls, the, the you know, most down, downtown areas uh, in a, most of the country had a, a downward slope for a number of years. And we kind of saw that coming and got out to the highways where people could easily access us without having to go downtown. Okay. And how did you see that coming? Uh, like what's, what was your secret in picking spots and, and knowing when to, when to escape yeah, if needed? You know, it's, it's kind of, there is no formula knowing that kind of stuff. It's kind of like either you see stuff or you don't. Most people don't. And I've always had intuition has been one of my gifts I was given, uh, even though I probably use it in the wrong way sometimes. And, and uh, I wish I could know every stock that went up. It doesn't work like that. But when it comes to our company, uh, I've always had an innate view of where we needed to go and where we needed to be. And uh, doesn't mean I'm batting 100%, but if I did make a mistake, I could recover from it. What I'm hearing, Robbie, and this I hear this a lot from business owners we've spoken to and you know, who have read on, is that they just call it the, the, this this intuition they have, but the ability to read changes in demand, in the market, in trends, um, is critical to the survival. I mean, it's the reason Blockbuster Video, you know, folded up, and you know they refused to acknowledge Netflix as a competitor. You know, you saw the trend, obviously, of people moving, you know, out of the city toward, you know, maybe more suburban retail or along the highways. Um, you know, so I, 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 if we could find a way to bottle up that uh, intuition, that ability, boy, we could be uh, millionaires on that alone. 
Yeah, you're just it's it's some traits you're born with and some experiences you've had that just help you see things. Um, you know, the internet after downtown, the next big change was the internet, and that's uh, you know I'm convinced you have to be omni-channel to really be a force at retail. People still like to try it. See, I'm talking about big items. They're you know they think Amazon can you can buy anything on Amazon, and it's fine if it's a a book or a pill or uh, you know toy. They can ship them UPS or FedEx and no damage, no problem. But when you send a two or 300 pound sofa across the country, there's about a 30% damage factor that, uh, oh, now I don't like it. What do I do with it? And after, you know, it's, it's an average freight cost of probably $200. Uh, that can that can create some real issues uh, when you just try to buy something sight unseen. So how has your business adapted to our more digital landscape now? Well, we've our website is 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 uh, you know blew up when uh, uh, all the stores were closed when that was our main access point to the customer, and people there's still people that would rather just shop from home than shop in a store, and uh, you know there's still some issues over I don't feel safe going out or whatever whatever your mentality is, but um, just the ability to give them a uh, an idea of what they're going to see in the stores about 70 80 percent of the customers now want to look at your website to decide where they're going to go shopping at you know 10 years ago an average consumer would shop three to five stores before they they uh, make up their mind now they want to shop three to five websites and decide they're going to go either to one maybe two places max after they've looked at your website so being able to coordinate that uh, line up appointments answer questions we have a full-time, uh, we treat our web team as just a separate store. And uh, it's now about our fifth largest store, and it'll it'll eventually be our, our top store just because the growth factor. So it sounds like if you can get them through the brick-and-mortar door, you've got the sale. So it's, you, I guess it puts a lot, of, uh, a lot of importance on really having a high conversion website. Yeah, well, you've, you've got to get them interested, but the close rate for shoppers now has doubled what it was two years ago. Um, people don't want to just go out and spend all day shopping. They don't want to, they want to make up their mind. And, and now, you know, with supply chain issues, it's uh, if you have it in stock, you're going to sell it. Uh, that's, been our, that's been our biggest challenge in the last year is having enough inventory to, to meet the demand and people not understanding what do you mean I got to wait six months for that? I'm used to hearing 30 days. Uh, but it's been a, and all the supply chains, a lot of fact, you know, th- there's a shortage of semiconductors. Uh, can't make cars. I mean, semiconductors and everything. Uh, and if you've got, if it takes 32 pieces to make a washing machine and you got 30 of them, you're not going to make that washing machine. Or if somebody got COVID, they shut the line down and, uh, you know, customers, don't understand that, uh, well, your sofa was supposed to show up this month, but now it's going to be two months from now because of supply chain issues. And that's, that's a big challenge because they don't think, well, you knew that the whole time you were not being truthful, but you know, that's, that's something we need to work on. And we, 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 uh, our goal is to stay in touch with the customer every two weeks till they get their product just to give them those updates. But it's, it's still time. It's still very tough when you have to change delivery times from the vendor two or three times. It's just, you don't come across as very credible. Yeah. I imagine that'd be pretty difficult. Uh, hey, do you have 
separate product lines that seem to carry your others at certain parts uh, throughout uh, the history of your company? Like uh, you have appliances, um, TVs, furniture. That's that was part of our overall strategy. You don't find a lot of furniture stores carrying appliances and electronics because the the margins are are not near the same. Um, But they're seasonal, like in November, December. The you know electronic spike during the summer, furniture slows down, but appliances shoot up. Appliances tend to break when it gets to be hot weather. Uh, so there there's a there's a yin and yin and yang effect there that when one slows down, the other picks up. But it's been uh, uh, and everybody looking for convenience for a one stop shopping experience. Uh, why not go to one place and have one delivery and get it all one payment? has been a big part of our story and our success. Gotcha. The, um, so the payment issue kind of comes to mind. It seems like, uh, that's, that's one of our talks, uh, on the show a lot is debt and, uh, people, people take on that debt. Um, do you see a lot of people, uh, using the credit cards, um, getting on payment plans? Yeah, that's about 40% of our business. Um, you know, some people, can't get a new sofa unless they use credit. Um, we try to, we have several different payment plans. We, our goal is 100% credit approval, whether that's a no credit check option or, uh, you know, for the, for the higher uh, credit scores, you know, same as cash plan where they can take one year, two years or longer to pay it off. Same as cash. Uh, a lot of people like to get it now. I'm, I'm going to get a tax refund. I'm going to, something's going to happen where I'm expecting a bonus or whatever. I can be enjoying it this weekend for my wife's birthday party and have it and paid off same as cash in some period of time. So uh, it's a, it's a big part of our growth and, and a, a big part of our offerings to the public. Now, speaking of not taking on debt, it sounds to me that like keeping your businesses running lean has been a priority of yours as well. You talked about negotiating the leases the way you did. What, what lessons have you learned or what, what could you impart to listeners who own businesses about their business finance and, you know, keeping that trim and lean? Well, the main thing you got to know is what your break even is and understand once you run the numbers and do your break even be a hundred percent certain that you can do more business than your break even point, because there's always some give and take. And if you're barely getting to your break-even point on your projections for the top line, then uh, that's not a deal you want to do. And uh, every store we've opened, my projections for business were usually 30 to 50% above where the break-even point is. And that gave you plenty of margin error for downturns. It's very uh, – uh, I, I just got a basic rule. One thing I learned from my dad, you don't ever want to lose money for any – period of time. And if you don't, if you can't fix it, get rid of it. Got it. Well, we experienced that in the real estate world, uh, you know, buying a property, making sure that the, that the rents are cash flowing properly and making sure you've, you've got uh, a cushion for the downturn. So I can certainly appreciate that. Um, now when we, when we, uh, talked a little bit, you, you talked about passion um, can you share a little bit about how you gained this passion, how you've kept it through all these years of, of this business? Uh, I don't think passion is something you gain. 
a little success can increase it, but you've got to have a basic passion. You want to do something. I like talking to people. I like selling stuff and I like seeing things grow. Uh, I like seeing people develop. I like coaching people. Coach, coaching is my passion, uh, whether that's on the basketball floor or, you know, I was a, I was a basketball coach. If it, if it ever paid anything, that's probably what I would have been my number one pick to, to be for the last 40 years. But uh, never made a dime coaching basketball, just had a lot of fun doing it. And I was fortunate enough to be able to have a business that I had a passion for that allowed me to do both. But just uh, just building a team, um, putting people the right seat on the bus where they can be the most productive. And, and uh, uh, the, 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 the biggest thing about growing a team is you've got to be able to have tough conversations. You can't... Uh, you can't just say, well, I don't want to say this to so-and-so. It might hurt their feelings when it's costing your team or your business uh, a tremendous amount of money uh, just from having the wrong people keep repeating the same mistakes. And that's that's really the most unfair thing you could do to somebody is just let them do the wrong thing over and over, and you don't care enough to correct them. Got it. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot to be said about putting the right people in the right seats. And did do you have a process that has proven you know successful in in aligning those people properly? Because I think we have a tendency often to build the job around the person as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, you just got to talk to people, and you know what the right answers are to fit in that seat, and you got to be honest with them. And I usually ask. I mean, there's a big question: you would you rather be a salesperson or would you rather be a manager? When the, we're a sales-driven organization, usually our top wage earners are salespeople, but everybody wants to be the boss. And, uh, you know, my question there would be, do you like just doing your own thing and not worrying about other people and just taking care of your book of business, or do you like coaching and developing and seeing, seeing things come together? And, uh, you know, that'll tell you as far as being in management or being in sales, what's, what's your right seat on the bus in that regards? So uh, the biggest thing is just being transparent, being uh, fully communicative and people understanding what a job entails and being honest, can you do this job with excellence or, or is that really not your passion where you want to be? And you're always going to make mistakes there. People are going to say yes to everything. And then when they get into it, it's going to change and being able to have a, uh, being able to correct that as quickly as possible is critical to the long-term health of your business. Now, a lot of times we talk about how we learn and, and mistakes are made um, and learning from our mistakes. So what is maybe the biggest mistake you've made that's helped you uh, in, in your business? Uh, the biggest mistake that's helped me? <laughs> if it helped me, it wouldn't be my biggest mistake. Uh, I mean, the, the, probably, uh, if I was thinking the, the, the worst time in my business when 2012, when we went through a new computer rev because we'd outgrown our old system and said, we got to have a new upgraded computer system. And when you buy a computer, the, the, the computer salesman says, yeah, it'll do that. It'll do that. It'll do that. And, uh, they don't tell you now if, if you don't put the information in right, or if you don't do this right, then it won't do that. And it's, the chaos that just uh, creates for everybody. It's uh, 
you know, it was, it was six months of hell. And uh, if your people weren't fully committed, I, I felt sorry for all of our employees because I was surprised that they, they all didn't quit during that period. Uh, Cause it was just crazy. Uh, you know, you, you take computers for granted but when they're not working, they sure create chaos. Uh, even to the point of uh, not recognizing that somebody had paid or not paid for their product. And here's you a TV and they think they've paid for it. Or here's another TV because you didn't look like you got the first one. Uh, you can, you can lose a lot of money real quick. Now, Robbie, we talked, you're talking about putting the right people in the right seats and, you know, you're somebody who's seen great success in growing a business to a, a, a large real, you know, en- enterprise that it is now. Um, and a lot of the business owners I've worked with as a business coach in the past are, you know, still maybe they're, they're solopreneurs, maybe they're working on their first, their store, their first location. They have these plans to grow. What, what would you say is the key to leveraging yourself and, and really expanding to the point where you've grown your business more than eight times? Well, my basic philosophy is it needs to be a shared experience. So as you grow and prosper, the people that are making that happen have to grow and prosper. And when they feel like they've got a piece or they're, they're rewarded for their efforts, you know, they don't have a problem putting greater efforts into it. So, you know, like if you're a salesperson on commission, you basically have the ability to write your own check. And some people write big checks. Some people write small checks and the, uh, the biggest difference is just the heart and desire and the passion you have for the business. Um, you know, it's, it always comes down to the character of the individual and, and being able to attract those high character people. And, you know, I gotta be honest, there's not a, there's not a huge amount of people that want to say, man, I want to graduate from college and work in a retail business. <laughs> that's not their, that's not their idea of a glamor job but we've gotten a lot of those people that have gotten into it. And, you know, some of them didn't have any other options. Uh, But the ones that really understood, nobody understands it on the front end, but the ones that really leaped in and gave it everything they had and and fully embraced the opportunity. And when uh, it wasn't long before, you know, most of them were making more than the people they graduated with. And you've got to have, you've got to have a vision and, and give them a vision of growth opportunity. And yeah, here's what you start with, but look at so-and-so he's been doing this for a year or two, or he's been doing this for five years. It really, the, the amount of time you've been doing it is, you know, after a while, it doesn't make much difference. If you've been doing it for two or three or 10 or 15, you've got a basic rhythm and you're producing at a high level and being able to identify those people that have that level of energy and that level of passion and that level of commitment, you're never going to bat a hundred percent, but, uh, you know, we try to keep it at least 80, 20, uh, because 80, 20 can, uh, you know, get the job done. If I had to venture a guess, I'd say your employee retention is probably fairly high. Uh, you know, for retail it is, uh, but, you know, we lose people every month for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, we're, it's, it's not, not everybody gets the vision. Not everybody embraces the opportunity. And, you know, some people go through the interview process telling you what you want to hear. And in reality, they're saying, well, I'll do this job till something else comes along. 
So, you know, we have a lot of 20, 30 plus year employees. And then, you know, we have a new hire class every month where we bring in 10 or 15 new people to replace those that just didn't quite get it. So what's your process for identifying that passion in people and really nurturing those ones that have it so that they can become those 20, 30 year employees? Well, it's, it goes back. Number one, everybody wants, you have to have a consistent behavior. They got to know if you do a, you get B and be consistent with that. They got to know how to get from point A to point B. And then they've got to, uh, uh, you know, hopefully experience success that wants them to experience more success and it builds upon itself. So it's, uh, you know, it's, there is no, uh, there is no magic wand. It's just uh, going through a process and identifying people that have the traits of other successful people in your business and trying to duplicate those people. And there's a little hit or miss to it, but uh, you know, we have a lot of new hires that this reminds me of so-and-so and look how well they did, or this reminds me of so-and-so and they didn't make it. And you know, that's, that's kind of the filter we run everybody through. Very good. Very interesting. Um, I, I think we've uh, kind of used up your time. I know your time is valuable. So let's we'll get into the brain pick here. Um, just a few questions for uh, fast response. Um, so the first question, uh, what is your superpower, unique, natural ability? Uh, I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> still I'm, I'm still standing. I think there's a song about that, but I would say probably the, the, the best natural ability I've got is just my intuition, the ability to see things. Um, and I'm thankful for that. If you were to go back three to five years and in your case, maybe longer, but, uh, what might you have done differently that you wish you could have done? Uh, I probably could have been a little more kinder. Uh, sometimes I'm quick and, and cause I'm on a fast paced person and some people aren't quite as fast. And I probably may have uh, been a little unkind and because I'm in such a hurry to get from point A to point B that, uh, sometimes I don't, uh, uh, come across as caring as I really am. Okay. And so, uh, where are you headed in the next three to five years? Uh, well, I'd like to beat your dad in pickleball. <laughs> uh, not sure I'll get there, but uh, business-wise, uh, my sons are in the business. I'm extremely. I got three sons, and that's the reason that I'm still involved. Uh, uh, I've evolved to a big picture uh, to where I can work from anywhere. Uh, allows me to spend a lot of time in Florida, uh, and uh, I would like to continue to develop that next generation. Uh, my dad, I didn't, my dad didn't really develop me. He just said, I'm going to Florida. You think you can handle it? So, uh, I kind of had to learn that on my own, but, um, I spent a lot of time just developing a, a group of, uh, that next generation that's going to be here for the next 30, 40 years. And I've been blessed to have some really key people that have, uh, that sees that vision and have been rewarded for it. Very good. And, and to those listening, uh, Robbie plays pickleball with my dad. He is a, a national champion in his age group. So he's, he's a high level, but he's resting now for knees. So Robbie, keep at it while he's down. <laughs> Now's the time to get him. That's right. Uh, can you, uh, can you share a favorite book on business or money? 
Well, I, I told you earlier, I think the Bible covers it all. There's principles there that you can't duplicate. I mean, you just, there's too much common sense. And, you know, a lot of people don't get that. So uh, uh, a generic, uh, typical business book, uh, about anything John Gordon does has a lot of insight. I've enjoyed him, but, uh, you know, to be honest. Uh, oh, yeah. Go check out Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook. No, it's... Uh, <laughs> There's the, the, all the books are stuff there. There's there's a limit to what they can do in your life and what you can accomplish through just reading a book. You just got to have the, the get up and go and just go out and do it. And, and they'll give you some pointers and some ideas. But reading a book is not going to get you there. It can give you some ideas. But, you know, there's an old saying, if it is to be, it's up to me. You got to go out and make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and action is key to, to everything. Right. Uh, yeah. we, we see a lot of that in real estate and I got to learn more. I got to read more. I got to do this training and I'm sure that's uh, in all areas, but, uh, certainly action is key. Uh, what is your biggest aha moment? Well, my biggest aha moment was, uh, I met a, a little girl named Sandy and that was a perfect fit with our business. And when now when everybody asks me uh, where the uh, who the business is named after, I get to say, well, my wife's name is Sandy. And of course, when you think of big Sandy superstores, they, you know, it's a little bit awkward because, you know, deep down, they really want to see a picture. <laughs> and uh, uh, that was probably uh, one of my greatest successful uh, things that I was able to accomplish, because if you when you when you're building a business, there's going to be some sacrifices made from your family, and if you don't have a wife or a spouse that supports you and is there through that time, like you know my mom when my dad came in and took a refrigerator says I've got a sale on this she understood she got it this is this is who we are we're, we serve the public and whatever it takes we're going to make it. When I was out there growing a uh, business and we're raising three kids. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, I didn't have all the time in the world and she was there and just kind of the glue that held it all, all together and, and allowed me to focus uh, on, on growing a business. And, and I'll uh, forever be grateful for that and what she's, uh, she's added to the equation. Excellent. Well, so as fate would have it, Sandy <laughs> becomes your wife. Uh, so that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Big Sandy superstore. Pickleball would be the connection here. You know, it's just like that comes up a lot. Justin's always talking about pickleball. Yeah. America's fastest growing sport. Highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Robbie, we're grateful for your time today. Thank you for sharing a little insight and a little wisdom to those who are building and growing their businesses who are listening. I hope that's a blessing and a help to somebody and uh, good talking to you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on. All right. Have a great day. All right. You too. This has been another episode of the Wealth Watchers podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lundy. With me is my co-host, Justin Hoggett. Thanks for recording with us today, Robbie. Have a great day, everyone. All right. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Wealth Watchers. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your podcast player of choice. If you found value in this episode, please share it with one person you know who could benefit from these tools and strategies. For more information on Wealth Watchers, please visit happycampercapital.com. <laughs>